Hello, friends, and thank you for joining Christ Church Online. We are nearing the end of our Walk This Way series, which has been a study on the book of James, and in this, the second-to-last installment of our series, we are led by our family life pastor, the Reverend Jamie Kendrew. Pastor Jamie will be preaching on the rewards of perseverance and conquering mountains. Here he is with that message. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning, church. Uh, you know, it's it's always a blessing to be here. I really appreciate Ed stepping in kind of last minute as, uh, you know, as he said, we kind of ran out of pastors last night. But, uh, you know, our, our mission team's back safely and we praise God for what they're doing. But God's doing some really cool things here at the church and what a blessing it is to be a part of it. Uh, my name is Pastor Jamie. I'm the family pastor here. And I'm excited to preach to you this morning. But before we dive into that, I want to share a quick story with you. Um, recently, there's a lot of you that really got on my case about something that I have to correct. And I'm going to do so from the pulpit. Um, it was my wife's birthday, and on Facebook, I put a picture of us fishing. And all, a bunch of you came to me and said, well, that's great that you did something for yourself on your wife's birthday. I want to set the record straight. She's sitting right there. That was her call. You see, because fishing something, we as a family, actually, all four of us like to do that together. And so I say that all just to set up a silly illustration here. We went fishing. Um, and we love to fish as a family, and I remember one time specifically I was out fishing with my son Brandon, and we were in Canada with a group of guys from the church here, we were having a great time, and we're fishing, going through some lily pads, when in front of us there was uh, a pile of turtles, uh, I guess it was the right time of day, and you know, we have kids in the boat, and so of course, we're fishing, we're trying to catch big fish, and the kids of course say, hey, can we go catch those turtles? I was trying to be the cool guy, I said, sure, let's go catch some turtles. And we did. We caught what seemed like a bajillion turtles. Uh, And we put these turtles in the boat, and we're in Canada, and the kids say, can we take them home with us? And I said, no, because that's a felony, and I don't want to get in trouble. And so, to the heartbreak of all the kids, I was the mean guy now that said you had to get rid of the turtles eventually. But while we're fishing the rest of the day, I've got this, um, this boat, and in the middle console of the boat, there's these walls that come up to about here. Um, you can stand pretty far down. And, and when you're a little turtle, um, we thought, well, we'll put the turtles in the middle of the boat. That way they won't be able to get out. And so what seemed like an um, impossible task, as I'm fishing, I looked over to see one of these little turtles scaling the wall of my boat. And I just was watching. None of the kids are paying attention because, as kids do, they already had lost interest and moved on to something else. Uh, this turtle was climbing his way up this just this this wall of this boat. I mean, the turtle was a little guy, and that, that's a lot of space. And it was amazing because he got all the way to the top of the, they're called the gun walls. It's the, the end of the boat there. And there's these little nubs around the end of my boat. And he climbed this mountain, and at the very top, just as he was about to escape to freedom, he hit that little nub and went tumbling the whole way back down the boat. None of the kids were looking, so I grabbed him and threw him in the water, and it was done. But we all have our mountains, don't we? And for some of us, our mountains look very different than others. And sometimes, like Elijah, we can conquer these massive objects in front of us, but then the smallest of things will cause us to go trembling into a cave. Listen to me. God does not desire for us to die on the mountains in our lives. He desires for us to stand on the peak with Him. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. God, we love you. As we dive into this sermon this morning, we pray, Lord, that you would teach us, that you would speak to our hearts, Lord. I think of all the other uh, Jesus-preaching churches in the city of Pittsburgh right now. We pray that you would fill their congregations with ears to hear what it is you have to speak. But we're here, Lord, and so we pray that you would speak to us. 
Speak through me, God. Speak to me. And may we learn from your brother James and what he has to say to us uh, in this almost conclusion of this book. So give us ears to hear and give us the courage to climb the mountain, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, in order to really uh, handle this passage of Scripture properly, we're going to kind of go to the end first in a moment. But I want to share this story with you. A friend of mine, an old pastor friend, um, used this illustration when preaching this sermon one time. And as I thought about the illustration, I thought, you know what, this, this could really be a unique uh, opportunity here. So I want to share a story with you that was shared with me. In 1920, there was a man by the name of George Mallory. Anybody ever heard of George Mallory? If you're a climber or a mountaineer, you've definitely heard that name. Because you see, George Mallory was the first man in recorded history that wanted to uh, summit Mount Everest. Now, he had a a Sherpa, a a climbing partner, and and two times they took a party of people to Mount Everest, and they, they would ascend Mount Everest only to be defeated. And the second time when, when George Mallory came down, he was an Englishman, he said to the mountain, he said, I will ascend one more time, and I will not come down until I have conquered you, Everest. One time you have defeated me, two times you have defeated me, but a third you will not. And so in 1924, George Mallory ascended Mount Everest with his climbing Sherpa, his partner, once again, and he promised, he, he came to fruition what he had promised. He would never be heard of again. The mountain climbing party that was at base camp waiting on him was dejected and dismayed when Mallory would not return. And so he, they returned to England without their leader. They returned to England to a reception of what was supposed to be triumph, but now was defeat. And while they, the, the rest of the team showed up, minus two of their party, they were at a banquet and they were on a stage at a table and the audience stood and applauded them. Even in their failure, they were receiving applause and the remaining team stood there with tears in their eyes and a picture of the mountain behind them. The now leader of that group stood up and said these unforgettable words. As he turned and he faced the portrait of Everest, he said, I speak to you, Mount Everest, in the name of all brave men living and those yet unborn. He said, Mount Everest, you defeated us once, you defeated us twice. Those are Mallory's words, remember? And he said a third time, you have defeated us. But Mount Everest, we shall someday defeat you because you can't get any bigger, but we can. What an incredible way to look at the mountain in your life. The mountain in your life, whether it be addiction, whether it be a workplace or a lost loved one or a sickness, whatever it is in your life that you're going through, that you're persevering through, I want to say this to you. That object, that thing, that fear, it is not bigger than God. It cannot get bigger, but we can get bigger through the rewards and the blessings in our suffering as we go through this trial. Amen, church? George Mallory would never be heard of, nor heard from again. But you see, there was a man by the name of Edmund Hillary in 1953, alongside of his Sherpa, his climbing partner, Tenzig Norgay. Tenzig Norgay studied the mountain. He studied it. He read it. And Tenzig Norgay found a path 
up Mount Everest. And in 1953, him and Edmund Hillary became the first men to summit Mount Everest in recorded history. There are some that will make the statement that without Tenzing Norgay, Sir Edmund Hillary never would have been successful. Because Norgay knew the way. In 1999, on May 1st, a climbing expedition on Everest stumbled across the body on the mountain. About 2,000 yards, excuse me, 2,000 feet from the summit of Mount Everest, a body was discovered. It was clinging to the rocks, toes dug in, finger pointing to the top of the mountain. When they were looking at the jacket on the body, a name on the tag said Mallory G. They had found and discovered the body of George Mallory. He never defeated his mountain because he didn't know the way. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you try to take on the mountain in your life by yourself, you will be forgotten and lost to history, dead, clinging to the rocks in which you're trying to defeat. But if you cling to the one who can get you to the summit, you will overcome that mountain and the view from the top will be fantastic because that mountain is no longer before you, it is beneath you and you will be given victory because of what Christ has done in you. Amen, Amen, church? That is good news this morning. Now listen, James is writing to us in chapter 5 as a reminder of suffering, as a reminder of what we're going through. And if you remember a few weeks ago, I preached a sermon on suffering. Remember that? And so I'm not here to repeat myself, but there's an important reason why James includes this at the end of his letter. So if you have your Bibles, open to James chapter 5 with me. And in order for us to understand why we're talking about this again, we've got to go to the end of this little selection. If you remember last week, Pastor Jared came and he spoke to us about he was warning the, uh, the rich and the oppressed. Uh, we were reading about how, um, how we don't want to be lovers of the things of this earth or find our security in money. And right before that, James in chapter 4 is talking about submitting ourselves to God fully. And so what happens is, is when these things are written, we later added the numbers and subtitles to them. This was all one gigantic letter written to the churches. And so as James is writing this, he's reminding them that they're, they're not going to find security in the things of this earth. That they're not going to find security um, in disobedience. That, that, that blessing is found in obedience to God. And so in verse 12, James makes this statement. He says, Above all, my brothers, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. Let your yes be your yes and your no be your no. We've all heard it. We've all said it. But what does it mean there? See, what's happening is the church in this moment is under severe persecution. And sometimes out of fear and sometimes out of, out of persecution, some of these early church members were making decisions to make promises and oaths that they couldn't fulfill. And what he reminds us here is, don't do that. Don't be afraid. Don't give up the fight and say yes to something that you have no intention on fulfilling. Do not be oath breakers. You know, he uses the illustration of Job as a tremendous example that connects us to the warning to the rich oppressors. Because you see, in Deuteronomy 11, there's a teaching. 
There's a right teaching that oftentimes gets twisted and manipulated. And this would never happen today. But what was happening during that time is there was a group of people out there who believed that if they just worked hard enough and if they just played by the rules good enough, that God would bless them with stuff. We would never hear of that today, would we? They got the same problems we have today. Listen to me. You do not have to work to earn the merit of God. He loves you because you're His. He loves you as much today as He's ever going to love you. And in this moment, the church is going through a crisis because there's people out there who are actually talking to other believers saying, well, you've got back problems. Well, you must be sinning. That's not how it works. I remember I had blown my shoulder out and I had a brother in Christ lovingly come to me and say, your shoulder's messed up. Let's talk about the sin in your life. And I looked at him and I said, you're absolutely nuts. I've never been closer to God. And the truth is, is that sometimes we say that God punishes us and does this. Listen, God is not a divine bully. Evil happens because evil is a parasite to good. And where there is mountain tops, there's got to be mountain valleys. And sometimes we look at pain and suffering as punishment from God, but I'm here to tell you right now that pain and suffering can be a blessing from God. God is not a God who delights in natural disasters, but He will use the results of evil for His glory. God gave me a story of brokenness. He gave me a personal story of rejection. And you know what? It's all good because God didn't leave me in that terribleness. He brought me out of it so that he could use it for his glory. God has put you where you are at right now because he has a greater purpose for the pain, the sorrow, the hardness, and the brokenness that you're feeling. And I'm going to tell you, for Edmund Hillary and Tenzig Norgay, it was not an easy climb up Mount Everest. In fact, they were dying when they did it, but they did not die. And I'm going to tell you as believers, we can come awfully close to death without dying. And when we are suffering and we we are going through pain, God wants to teach us something. God is right there beside us. He is not the cause of it. He is the solution of it. So whether it's addiction, whether it's cancer, whatever your mountain is, God is not the bad weather. He's the climbing partner that can show you to the summit. So James is writing this to remind us that God doesn't only love rich people. God doesn't only love poor people. God doesn't only love black people or white people. That stuff actually doesn't even matter to God. He loves everybody. He loves each of us. And sometimes the circumstances that we get dealt in life are just the way it is. Evil happens, stuff happens, but God will use whatever it is in your life to bring glory to Him. The question I have, are you clinging to the rock or are you letting go and are you climbing? James, we'll go back to the beginning here at at verse 7. He says these words, he says, Be patient, brothers, until the Lord's coming. Do you know that Jesus is coming back for us? That he's promised to us that this life doesn't end in death. This life ends in victory for those that love him. And all this is right now is nothing but a bunch of suffering. We're suffering together. Some of our suffering is a lot milder than somebody else's suffering. And some of our suffering is much greater. But nonetheless, since the days of the Garden of Eden, since the days of Adam and Eve, we are all suffering. The earth is suffering. Everything around us is suffering. You're not alone. 
and your suffering. God knows your individual suffering and he cares about it. He says this, be patient, my brothers, this is James, until the Lord comes. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn spring rains. See, there's a reward in our patience. There's a reward in our, in our waiting. And that reward is fruit. You see, we are called to be like farmers in this example and I love the description that James gives here. And it reminds us, when we think about the farmer, that, that the farmer is encouraging us to remember that while we're suffering for the Lord, we're to be busy. Now listen to me. Everybody shake your head if you understand what I'm saying. You do not have to work to earn the merit of God. Everybody got it? We're all on the same page. Participation sport here. Let me know, okay? Because I don't want anybody leaving here thinking that I have to work hard and then God will love me. That's not true. If that was then, you better get working real hard because you're never going to get there. You don't have to work to earn the merit of God, but we are called to be obedient to Him. Deuteronomy 11 says, I will bless those who are obedient to me. And some people like to manipulate and twist that scripture, but it's a right teaching. God will bless those who are obedient to the call that he's put on their life. And God has not called you into this Christian walk to sit idly by on your hands. Tell me a farmer that you know that wakes up at noon. Anybody? Ever met a farmer that wakes up at noon? No. No. The farmer is working hard, but nothing he labors or toils with his hands can make those crops produce fruit any faster. You hearing me? See, what we're called to, why he uses this illustration, he says we're to be like these farmers, we're to be patient, we're to wait for the rains, and we're to stand firm because the Lord is coming back. And as spiritual farmers, our duty is not to make the fruit, Our duty is to be ready to harvest the fruit when it's there. Some of you are are reaching out to people and you're you're brokenhearted because I've been sharing Christ with this person for about three weeks now and they haven't made a decision to follow Christ. Listen, that's not up to you when they accept Christ as their Lord and Savior. But what is up to you is to be there with them when they make that decision to walk alongside of them. We are farmers. We're to be busy about being prepared for the harvest. So what does that look like for us when we're going through suffering? It looks like us being in the word of God. Knowing that when we have a brother who's stumbling in alcoholism, that we're to be there for them. We're not to beat him over the head with the word of God because Paul reminds us that when we do things like that, we do it without love. It's all meaningless. But we're to be ready as spiritual harvesters that when that person does say that they're ready, that we come alongside them as a brother and sister in Christ. We grab the word of God and we help nurture those seeds that are being planted. Is this making sense? Nod your head if this is making sense to you. As believers, we are called to be spiritual farmers. We're to wait on God. But listen, if you have cancer, God doesn't want you to sit in your house and say, I have cancer, I'm going to wait on you, Lord. He wants you to go to the doctor's. He wants you to get up and pursue every door that he puts in front of you. Is this making sense? He is going to provide a blessing in that. And when the time is ready, you'll know it and you'll receive the fruit that comes from that. So why does James use the illustration of the farmer? Because he doesn't want us to idly sit by. He wants us to be encourage us. He wants to encourage us to keep working until God returns. He continues on by saying this. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you'll be judged. 
And I think that's just a friendly reminder. Hey, church folks, love each other. How many of you, when you think of a farmer, think of someone who's unreliable? When I think of a farmer, I think of, man, if I'm in trouble, I can ask my farmer neighbor to come help me. He's there for me. At his own expense, he'll be there right beside me. That's the image of the farmer we think of, isn't it? What farmer do you know has ever turned his sickle against his neighbor? Doesn't happen. He'll help him harvest when the time comes. But brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to stop infighting. We need to stop bickering at one another. We need to stop spending energy beating each other up. And we need to start spending more energy getting out there being prepared for the harvest that is coming. Are you spending as much time in the Word of God as you are beating the church up? It's just an honest question. Waste your energies, not. Spend your energies in the places of the Lord. The farmer wakes up at sunrise and he goes to bed at sundown knowing full well that he put in a good labor of love to the crop. One day it will produce fruit. James continues on and he says these words. He says, Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, look at the prophets who spoke the name of the Lord. You know, I hear this a lot as a, as a pastor that, that, you know, when I accept Christ, my life is just easy. Man, I don't know who ever told you that. But when, when I read the Bible, I don't read that. What I actually read in the Bible when I read about the prophets, do you know who the prophets are? You've got Isaiah, you've got Ezekiel, you've got Daniel, you've got Elijah. Old Testament stuff. Read this stuff, guys. You need to know your Christian history. But when these guys spoke on behalf of the Lord, it wasn't easy for them. I jokingly say it wasn't fluffy bunnies and rainbows and unicorns. Elijah was pursued by 450 prophets of Baal. He's known as the ultimate smack talker for God because he got right in their face and threw it back at them. He defeats the 450 prophets of Baal, but then one lady gets mad at him and he goes and cowers in a cave. Just like the turtle climbs a mountain and then stumbles with a little nub. You look at the life of Daniel. You look at the life of Ezekiel. Hardship beyond belief. When they spoke on behalf of God, hardship came their way. But listen, God didn't abandon them. God always showed up for them and he delivered them, didn't he? It wasn't always easy. It wasn't always Hawaii and Corvettes. But God is good, and he used it in miraculous ways. We think of Jeremiah being arrested and left for dead. These are people who spoke on behalf of God. And so James uses this illustration. He says, brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, look at the prophets. They spoke the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who persevered. And so again, we receive that message that those who persevere under times of trial, we will receive a blessing. But it'll be a blessing that God has for us, not something earthly that we think of. You know, ultimately, he takes the illustration to Job. You know, there's, I mean, you think about Job. This is God's go-to guy. Job really went through it. And in case you don't know the story of the Job, I'll give you the Jamie B. Kendrew version here. And, uh, and I'll summarize it for you. Job was a righteous man. He had his issues, of course, like the rest of us. He wasn't sinless, but he was as righteous as it gets. He was in love with the Lord, and he made sacrifices to God, and Satan one day came to God and said, you know, this Job guy, the only reason he loves you is because you give him all this stuff. Job was blessed. He had money, he had finance, he had everything. He had lots of children, a wife, and God said, well, that's just not true. 
See, Job loves me because Job is righteous and Job is good and he loves me because he loves me. And Satan says, yeah, right. He said, I bet I could put a little hardship on that guy and he'll turn on you like that. God said, no, he won't. You can do whatever you want. You just can't kill him. And God allowed hardship to come into the life of Job. And Satan himself attacked Job. Listen to me. Evil wants nothing more than for good to fail. When you get about the business of the kingdom of God, you will come under fire. An enemy, a smart enemy, does not waste their time on a neutral target. And when you're about the kingdom of God, evil is a parasite, and it will try to destroy you. But what's beautiful about the story of Job is he, he was able to keep his wife. His wife stayed alive, and she offered this encouragement, kill yourself. Thanks, honey. Wives, don't, don't, don't encourage that. But she did. She said, kill yourself. He went to his friends and said, you know, what do I do? And they said, well, surely you must have sinned because God's angry at you. Job said, I'm, I'm not. I'm living righteous. And he said, well, why don't you just curse God and die? He said, I'll never curse God. I'm going through hardship right now. I'm, I've lost my family. My children have all been killed. I've lost all my possessions. I've lost all my stuff. But I know that God has a plan for me. And Job had a proper understanding of what Deuteronomy 11 meant. When you're obedient to God, he will bless you. And he said, I will not curse God's name because I know he has a plan for me. See, what Job knew, he knew that God had a path to the summit of his mountain. And the question I have for you today is, do you understand that God is the only way to the summit of the mountain that stands in front of you? You can, you can cling to the earth, you can cling to the world, but I promise you this, it will only lead to death. He says these words, he says, the Lord is full of compassion, the Lord is full of mercy. And Job was a testament to that. You see, we're reminded about being a farmer because we're encouraged to keep working as we wait on God. He reminds us of the prophets because we're encouraged to keep witnessing as we wait on God. And he gives us the example of Job because you see, the reason we go through suffering is because God is trying to bring us closer to him. Climbing the mountains in life is difficult. It's hard. And when you're doing so in the name of the Lord, you will come under attack. And you can curse God and die. And you can try to follow something that doesn't know the way, like George Mallory. But I promise you, like George Mallory, you will become a part of the death and destruction that your mountain is. But... If you cling to the one who is the way, Jesus Christ, he will lead you to the summit of something beautiful. Close your eyes. Bow your heads. I want you to imagine whatever it is that you're going through. That your time on this earth has come to a close and there you are kneeling on your knees and on your hands. And overcoming your body is this very unfamiliar feeling of no pain. 
of no sorrow. You're standing on the summit of that mountain and you open your eyes and you look up only to see the feet of the glorious God in heaven. And a figure approaches you. And you know right away it's the Lord Jesus Christ with his wounds in his hands and he looks to his heavenly father and he says, this one is one of mine and he reaches his hand down and he gets you to your feet and he walks with you to the beautiful view is that is the summit of our mountain. What we don't remember in that moment is how big the mountain was. What we don't remember in that moment is the pain and the agony that came from that mountain. But all we can see is the splendor from rising above the mountain and standing on top of it with the one whom we love the most. The view is fine. The view is eternal. And we take the hand of our Lord and we walk into eternity and we forever sing songs of glory about how God rescued us on that mountain. He did not leave us to be petrified. He did not leave us to be memorialized in death. But in our patience and obedience, He brings us into glory. Amen, church. What a good thing to be reminded of this morning. Let's pray. God, we love you. Thank you for the way you've reminded us through your brother James that we are to be busy working, preparing for a harvest. And as we do so, and regardless of what comes our way, what suffering, what heartache, what brokenness, God, may we continue to witness for your glory. Because as you remind us through your servant, Job, we will receive a reward far better than anything we can imagine. Thank you, Lord. In your name we pray.